wickedly delicious. Hello there, and welcome to Ladyfingers. You know, just this little old gay podcast about Great British Bake Off. Maybe the gayest. Who can say? It's the final. This episode, what it did to me emotionally, I'm still recovering. Yeah, you posted uh, Bake Off Tears on Main. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I was feeling very raw and vulnerable after watching this episode. I love this podcast, but I'm mostly feeling a little bit like Matt and Noel-like. Glad to be done and have time back in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but it's been a great season, and this episode was uh, no exception. Absolutamont. Starting for me, at least, with Noel's shirt, which was yes. just a whole, I don't know. It had words on it. It had a it's scary a lady on it. Yeah, it was, it was something. Well, our first challenge, just to dive into it. A carrot cake. I think it's a good challenge because it is something that you could easily assign in the first episode. But the fact that they assigned it in the last episode means that they just want something really, really special. And that they trust these bakers to be able to take this fairly simple thing and take it to a new place. I liked giving them something so open and so broad because... The real challenge of a carrot cake is not making a carrot cake. It is putting a spin on it and making it unique to you. Our bakers did not nail these carrot cakes, though, I would say. There were good things, but everyone had something a little off. Christelle did a pistachio, cardamom, and orange carrot cake. It's a good mix of like these sort of richer, almost savory flavors with the orange. But she had some issues stacking it. She had these three really tall layers and Mm -hmm. she had this really huge well of like frosting and stuff in between each layer. And the whole thing kind of like toppled over and she had a bunch of dowels that she was sticking in through it. The interesting thing is like trying to do a presentation on a cake that's usually very plain. So she was trying to do this sort of like just a hint of icing on the outside. And I feel like if she would have been able to ice it more, it would have had more to hold it together. I don't I don't like the half on, half off look. I want the I want the cake to be really clean. Though her presentation wasn't the greatest, she got great marks for flavor. They really she loved did. the flavor and texture. We also learned that her sisters are named Chanel and Corel. It was great to harken back to that. I don't know, her just like matching set of sisters. They're they're so cute. It really brought it together for me. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She loves her family because they are that kind of a family. Where they're like a little lighthearted, jokey, really loving. Probably take some cheesy Christmas photos or something every year. What did you think of Chiggs? It was an interesting one. I thought it looked really beautiful. Uh, you can definitely tell that Chiggs' wheelhouse when it comes to decorating He likes this very modern, minimalist, classic kind of look to a cake, you know? Mm -hmm. The teensy little carrots that he cut and like carefully placed on top, I think those looked really cute. The cake itself, they said it was a little bit goopy was was sort of the vibe that they were getting from it. It was a little stodgy because he put so much carrot into the cake. And, And he said that he wanted you to taste the carrot. That is not what I'm going for with a carrot cake most of the time for me it's kind of like a zucchini bread doesn't taste like zucchini the zucchini adds the moisture it's more about the vegetable mass and the the texture Mm -hmm. that gives you but yeah prue said that like you expect a certain degree of stodge from a carrot cake but this was 
much too much. He also used pineapple jam. And there's actually a offshoot of the carrot cake that I made for my mom one year called, I believe, a hummingbird cake. So basically, it is a carrot cake, but you also add canned pineapple and a lot of like spices and stuff. Same similar kind of thing to carrot cake. Yeah. Uh, and they're popular in the South. It's also with a cream cheese frosting and walnuts and maybe even throw some raisins in there if you're feeling spicy. Uh, but it reminded me of that. And those flavors work really well together. This was probably my least favorite, to be honest. Really? Really? Just because it's it was a more traditional kind of take and then like didn't really do well at that. Giuseppe's, he introduced it with a little self-aware joke saying that he was doing it an Italian twist for a change <laughs> with his carrot cake. So he had fig jam and walnut in his. He wanted one big cake that he was going to cut into three layers instead of three individual layers of cake. I think the goal with that is you can guarantee that all of your cakes are going to be exactly the same bake, but it just adds so much time and stress to the process. Yeah, especially with that decreased surface area, even when you cut them, it takes very, very long for them to cool. Yeah, and the center is just like this big, like, wet hot steaming mass in the middle oh my god that's not an attractive way to describe a cake yeah the flavor went went all right but mm -hmm. the texture and the appearance both didn't really work to his favor we did get with giuseppe this like really touching moment about his dad and you could see how much his father meant to him and he was tearing up and it was it was a really special moment i caught that he said Una umbrancho forte, forte, forte. He wants Aww. to give him a big, strong hug, Aww. which is very cute to see. So I think after this first challenge, it felt like none of them did amazing, but it seemed to me like Christelle pulled out in front just barely. You could tell that Giuseppe was not on his A game this episode. And that's always the fear is that you're going to mess up right at the end and somebody's going to, you know come in who's been doing really well yeah with that said shall we talk about the technical paul wanted to murder them this time mm -hmm. <laughs> he set the challenge to make belgian buns and there were two sentences on their instruction list make the belgian buns and then fill them with lemon curd and sultanas yeah i want to know like what would you have made if you would have gotten this brief I don't know if this is a British people thing, but when I hear buns, I think little round babies. And so I would have made like almost like a American style biscuit or like a dinner roll or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I would try and inject a bunch of lemon curd and raisins into the center with like a piping bag and a frosting tip or something. And it yeah. would have been a complete disaster. Like I would not have known to make them into little cinnamon rolls at all. Yeah, I think I would have done something similar, like like made a hot cross bun with the sultanas yeah. and then like, I don't know, maybe just cut them and spread the lemon curd <laughs> or something. I don't know. Um, yeah. But they all got at least that they're like a cinnamon roll, like a yeah. rolled bun yeah. um, with the lemon curd and sultanas in that tight spiral that they have. I've never seen a, a, a roll, a, a twisty cinnamon roll style thing with lemon yeah it seems it seems really tasty i would have certainly eaten these what stood out to you in the technical 
Giuseppe, again. He looked at his oven and I could tell from home through the camera, like, oh, those are very baked. Oh, and then yeah. he's like, five more minutes. And I'm like, no, oh, no, yeah. zero more minutes. Get them out right now, Giuseppe. What are you doing? They were looking dark. I mean, like, possibly they could have, like, you know, inserted in a shot from the very end to make it look like they were darker than they were for us viewers. But it it was very apparent that he had overbaked them. They were crispy. Like some parts were like black on the top almost. Yeah. It was yeah. It was not right. It was also weird to me when they were rolling them together. His swirl looked very, very loose for some reason. Yeah, it did. It was all floppy. It was like Jarzino take two. <laughs> And then, yeah, I loved um, Chiggs's tiny little tall buns that just looked so wrong. <laughs> and even he, he could tell he was like, I did this the wrong way. But Christelle followed her instincts. She, she did. Like, didn't get in her head about it. And she won this technical, which is so exciting. Which was a great moment for her to have. So now every single one of them gets to walk away with two star bakers. Yeah two handshakes, and then at least one technical win for each of them. Really, really impressive. And like a big victory for her. Seriously. A whole season arc completed, wrapped up. Very satisfying. So just to do the numbers, Giuseppe came in last, Chig's in the middle, and Christelle in first. Amazing. final um was a mad hatter's tea party i think maybe you have a fun food fact on the subject i do i have a fun little food fact um i thought we would talk a little bit about the history of english afternoon tea it was a trend that started in the year 1840 with anna the seventh duchess of bedford a rich fancy lady wanted to have some tea and some food at four instead of waiting for dinner at seven or eight o'clock mm-hmm and this woman girl bossed her way into a tradition for the ages in England. It took off pretty quickly, first really being like a symbol of the gentry and the rich, and then mm-hmm. it became accepted among working class people. And now, at least my understanding in England is it's like pretty standard and nearly everybody takes a second to stop and take some tea if they're home or if it's available. In fact, the English... Uh, power grid has to accommodate the surge of power required for all the electric tea kettles that happen at four o'clock each day. Can I drop a meta food fact? Oh, please. Just that the Dutch for uh, tea kettle uh, translates to water cooker. So my roommates will always be like, oh yeah, can you put the water cooker? And I'm like, ha 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 ha. Because it just (laughs) sounds cute. That was fun. Standard fair of english tea of course tea uh, bread and butter was when it started but the earl of sandwiches crazy new invention hit the streets and the girls couldn't get enough of it and oh, yeah. that became pretty standard as well little cucumber sandwiches and teas and cakes and that kind of thing and when we think about alice in wonderland a lot of the book was a metaphorical criticism of english society And so when it gets to the Mad Hatter's Tea Party, first off, 
the Mad Hatter is mad because Hatters would use mercury and a lot of stuff. So there's like an association with like mercury poisoning. And then there's the little card in his hat, which is like basically talking about rampant inflation. Mm -hmm. It's all sort of like a, a spoof and a criticism of rich people at the time being frivolous and these like really specific rigid rules being completely arbitrary. Also, the Dormouse is a symbolism for the working class. Because they just beat up on him all the time. They don't care about him. Oh, I see. So in this challenge, we're taking this criticism and we're redeeming it. Also, not a fun fact. Lewis Carroll was a pedophile and was actually in love with like a nine-year-old girl who Alice was based on. Messy. Messiana. Worse, worse than messy, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Menace, perhaps. Cool. Well, thank you for the fun fact. You're welcome. The added context for our showstopper challenge. Basically, the challenge here, make four things showing four different disciplines of baking. And the theme is Alice in Wonderland, Tea Party, etc, etc. Let's talk about Chiggs. He's the least contentious character, I'd say. Yeah, I think so. He's solidly right in the middle. Chiggs made chicken and mushroom clock pies. Uh... These pastry cone mushroom thingies that looked a little bit suggestive, if you're asking this guy, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. with the lemon lime creme pat on the inside, jammy dodger cards, and then an orange zest and mascarpone cake that looked like the Cheshire cat. And as we know from Paul, orange is very difficult <laughs> to have come through in cakes. You're never going to let that go, are you? It's the third time Chiggs has done it without any comment, but um, he had a solid showing, but there were a couple things that didn't make it through. Like his jammy dodgers were elderflower and black pepper Mm. as well, and they said neither of those flavors really showed up. Which is unfortunate. What a a fun combo. His Cheshire cat cake, I think, tasted fine, but he missed the grin, the Cheshire cat grin, which feels... Like a big omission. It it looked pretty basic. I'm sorry, yeah. Chiggs. I love you, but that cake was simplistic. This is just my own personal thing, but he used an edible pen on both of the clock pies as well as the Jammy Dodger biscuits. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it looks a little weird and it's maybe a little off-putting because it does yeah. look like a pen yeah. has written on the cakes. But then it also kind of just looks a little cheap to me. He, he said, I'm not writing on this with a Sharpie. It's a real pen. Like, you know, don't worry. But it didn't quite look right. And, you know, compare that to Christelle, who had this, like, really complicated clock that had individual numbers made of, like, pastry on top of it. I don't think it would have been that much more effort to whip up just, like, a little simple frosting that's black and pipe it very small. I can see why he did it, because they did have a shit ton to do. Let's talk about Christelle. Christelle um, did a chickpea potato pie that were bunny Amazing. top hats, which looked so cute. They looked so good. That shade of green was perfect. And it, mm-hmm. you knew exactly what it was when you looked at it. It was a little hat from Mad Hatter's shop. Yeah, yeah. And I liked that the shape, like, they were pies, but you wouldn't know. You wouldn't exactly. know what it was unless until you cut it in. They didn't look like, this is a pie. Oh, um, totally. She made little sunflower 
uh, chai cakes. Which were so cute. Have little mm-hmm. faces on them. What was the mushroom thing? Nan katai. Indian shortbread cookies. Light, usually with flour, ghee, cardamom, sugar. It's sort of like a crumbly melt-in-your-mouth kind of feeling to them. I feel like that's what happens with a lot of bakers is they're able to bring the flavors from their family, but not the bakes. And so it was cool that she was able to bring an actual dish. I mean, what a great way to represent yourself is to like bring in a, a cookie that nobody else would have ever thought of. All three of these went over very, very well. They did. And then she made a sesame and za'atar focaccia <sighs> that baffles me. Like I, I spent so much time the past couple days like trying to Google focaccia recipes and like if anyone had done any like I like what happened? Like it just did not get even nearly hot enough. It was so disappointing and I mean that it lost her the competition. She mm-hmm. if if it had been adequate, mm-hmm. if it had been edible and mm-hmm. not great, she would have won. But yeah. it was so bad. They're like, we can't give it to a raw clock. Right. Like, it even looked amazing. All those clock pieces on top were so mm-hmm. cool. My my theory is that they had that shot of her saying like, oh, we made these focaccias. And they talked about how it's it's really great to have more oil. So I just added a bunch of oil to it. And it did look like she just soaked the whole, like the dough was just in an oil bath. It was dripping in it. So my my theory is that she added all this oil and then the oil didn't heat up enough. Like one made the bread soggy, but then also like didn't heat enough. Like it added too much like heat mass for the bread to for it to like do its thing normally. If you're cooking something in a bain-marie, like you do that so that it heats more slowly and yeah. more evenly. Yeah. So I'm thinking it was like all of that liquid, it just didn't like heat up the way you need a bread to heat up. Yeah. To- cook yeah i think so it probably also like uh, stops like bubble and air from forming and like the browning and all that kind of stuff it probably gets harder as well i just am confused that we did not hear like maybe it was a production decision or something but like i was shocked that it turned out so bad because she put that focaccia in the oven and then we heard nothing about it until the judging we saw one thing where she was sticking the thermometer in it and she's like i can't tell if this means the oil is hot or the internal temperature of the thing is ready and then we watched christelle fall and it sucked and i didn't like it yeah i was just confused i was like did she throw it or something because she didn't i don't know we we didn't get to see her reacting the way that i thought that she would which would be pulling it out of the oven being like fuck so did she just like not know interesting well also like a focaccia it's a lot it's a long process to make because you do have to prove it in everything so i'm sure regardless she wouldn't have had the time to make it again i don't know i'm just confused i need the snyder cut of this episode (laughs) yeah me too i feel like this final overall it was good it was emotional it delivered what it needed to but i don't think it was one of these finals where the winner had this giant moment of triumph. It was kind of Mm -hmm. like, these are the three who have duked it out all the way to the end, and they're, like, scrambling to finish. And Giuseppe is, like, he's so clearly running out of steam. 
Yeah. And like he did just enough to make it through, but it really it really came down to Christelle not baking this one thing. Um, shall we talk about Giuseppe then? Interesting choices here. Uh let's go down the list. First off, orange and fig hearts, which Paul and Prue really love the flavor of, but they looked a little bit a mess, if we're being honest. And then it really confusingly, shoe buns with purple glaze filled with asparagus and pea cream? I, what, excuse me? Just like a puree, I think. Like kind of like a little savory snack. Yeah, I was a little confused. I would have been fine with just pea or like mint and pea as like a very English sort of thing. Like when you order fish, like fish and chips, it'll often come with like mushy peas that have mint in them. But uh, I don't understand pureeing asparagus. That's the one thing is like, asparagus is such a good vegetable yeah it's it's crispy and crunchy and and it it has so much fiber so i don't understand why you would puree it peas make sense because they're mushy to begin with (laughs) they said they they said they tasted weird which yeah is fair it's not what you would expect out of a shoe bun especially if it has a glaze also they were very small and Prue's like oh that's fine caterpillars are small and it's like not the caterpillar in in freaking Alice in Wonderland it's huge famously yeah famously he's large and then he made the chocolate hazelnut mushroom this big old bread layered thing baklava I think they called it a pull apart mm-hmm. bread looked like the tastiest thing to me honestly yeah. chocolate and hazelnut you love it you love to see it you love to eat it so the last one was mango and passion fruit panna cottas with this little brandy snap on top so they loved them they loved they loved panna cotta so yeah. much I was confused a bit in the judging just because the brandy snap was eaten but not discussed I'm sure it was a passable brandy snap but they they didn't really say anything about it yeah and then they were just so obsessed with this panna cotta and it seemed like like this panna cotta won him the competition yeah Yeah, i would agree with that like a a baked custard like this is i mean it's obviously everything he's doing is difficult but this doesn't seem like it's it's almost not an element to me because it's a custard in a jar yeah that's really stretching the definition of baking and it's a little bit strange to have like a jar of goop be the thing that wins you great british bake-off you know what would have fixed it is if they would have been like the brandy snaps are perfect as well and they go really yeah you know if they evaluated the thing as a whole but they only really talked about the panna cotta which seemed a little i wish they would have like heaped the praise on the mushroom or something like that like i said it was a interesting you know final and i think the rest is history we we know how this ended up giuseppe wins the whole thing which honestly he 100 deserves yeah he's kind of been the poster child for the season him and jurgen he's a workhorse in that he does the things that he knows to do he succeeds at them he will take a little deviation here and there but like generally sticks to what he knows but is also like one that is interesting enough. Like I've ragged on him for just only doing <laughs> Italian flavors, but he's interesting enough that like I'm not bored ever. Yeah, he always puts just a little bit enough of a twist on it, or it's so pretty or so well mm-hmm. finessed that you you mm-hmm. have to give it to him. Christelle and Shiggs also had great showings, and yeah. it's cool to see them in the final. They both have great narratives that they've built throughout this show. They really do. They they clawed their way to the top. They got better and better and better and better, and that is 
the most fun thing to watch about the show. And then post challenges, we recognized the true winners of this season. <laughs> the icons, the stars, the moment. Lizzie and Freya, who literally traveled everywhere and saw everyone, probably put more work into the post show than the entire production team put into the show <laughs> itself. The cutest little road trip to go visit everybody across England. That This is what you love about the show, is like all the little friendships that they make afterward. And they are clearly just having such a ball this felt very Romy and michelle like they weren't yes. the they weren't the star pupils they weren't the most popular girls during the season mm-hmm. but they're the ones who are gonna like stick together and then like bring everyone together in the end and then we learned that giuseppe left for milan he just not living in england anymore this is the joke is that italy won eurovision italy won the euros the football championships And that's Christelle even referenced this. She said that like missing the focaccia felt like missing the penalty kick for England because Mm. that's what happened at the end of these championships. It came down to penalty kicks and a couple of the players just kind of like got in their head and just completely missed a kick into the goal. And so she was like, that's how it felt. But also like, just like the Italian team was really uh, powerful, uh, Giuseppe is a powerful man. Wow, Italians cleaning up. It's a year for Italy, really. Good for them. They they had a rough one last year. And of course, Giuseppe is more than just a country, a nationality. He is an individual baker. Yes, true. Who Very true. is so skilled and so lovely. Yeah, he just seems so honest and nice and open. And he wears fun shirts. I, I just want to say, I really cried at the end of this episode. Like, for real. Like, it it really touched my feelings. I, I think I always get a little misty-eyed when people are really nice to each other. And it's just like, I'm going to miss this show. I This show brings me so much joy and so much comfort. And I wish there was more, but... You know, I'm I'm glad that we can put a ball on it. This was a this was a good season. Yeah. I'm so into eating these days. Thank God. Well, it was uh, the holiday known as Thanksgiving. It was. Which is an interesting and controversial holiday that I feel weird about every time it comes around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to like reinterpret how I as a white person relate to this weird narrative. But the way that I squared it with myself today was taking something from the food that I was eating here. So much of which is from Turtle Island or North America. Squash, turkey if you had it, beans, corn, all these products are from the other side of the Atlantic. And so like for me, eating all of these things was a way to connect back to the land that I'm from. Oh. And as well as a way to like connect to the ongoing struggles of indigenous people from that Mm. land. So I don't know. I, you know, it's just me trying to like square the circle, but I really enjoyed the opportunity to showcase all of these foods. That That's a really good way of putting it is like, we as Americans don't get 
to decide our history and as people who benefit from the violence that our country caused it's the least that we can do to like acknowledge it and try and change the holiday into something more productive and more respectful and to recognize that like for many native people thanksgiving is a day of mourning and that the u.s government recognizes Native American Heritage Day as the day after Thanksgiving, which is overshadowed by Black Friday, which is a little messed up, but... I feel symbolism there that, like, Native American people's heritage starts after Thanksgiving in a way, and, you know, it ignores the thousands of years that they were minding their own business, (laughs) having histories of their own that we don't think about or talk about. But in terms of actual dishes... In terms of food. I did make two pies, and they were both really great. I ended up making a gluten-free uh, pumpkin pie, which was really good um, because my roommate does has celiac. And the crust came out all right. It was a little difficult getting it into the tin, but it still tasted good. And it was really fun to introduce all of the folks I live with to pumpkin pie because none of them had ever had it. So, Oh, really? That was what good. did they think? They all really liked it. Ooh. Which is nice. And I put a lot, like I did a scratch pie like I normally do. Like yeah. Bake in the pumpkin and, and mash it and everything. Wow. Going the extra mile. Oh, yeah. Because I just, uh, I don't know. I like cooking winter squash as listeners to this podcast know. So, yeah. So it was fun to do. And then I also made an apple pie, a vegan apple pie, which is very easy because you just use margarine instead of butter. And I literally made the best pastry of my entire life. Ooh! Like just rolling it out, I was like, "Holy shit!" I snapped, and it was just <laughs> so beautiful and flaky, and like. Do you think it was a margarine? No, I think it was just the fact that I had all my shit together. What about you, Cole? Uh, yes, I do like eating. In a weird inverse world, I cooked everything but the pie. Sacrilege, I know, but I had so much fucking cooking. I could not bring myself to also make a pie on top of everything else. I did everything by myself. And you know what? My fault, because the pecan pie that I bought is bad. Uh, (laughs) Not enough enough pecans. It's like a layer of pecans on the top, and then it's just solid goop an inch down. Not what I wanted. Um, but I couldn't find a pumpkin or a sweet potato. We're moving on. We're, we're dealing with it. Um, I'm having it in small pieces for breakfast some mornings. Uh, but I made everything else. So I didn't do a turkey because I was only expecting to have my mom and one of my roommates there for Thanksgiving. Tragically, my mom was not able to make it out because there was a windstorm in Southern California, really bad Santa Ana winds that stopped all the planes from going out. So I'd already bought all the food and I made it anyway. And I'm just going through leftovers now, but roast chicken, Brussels sprouts, mashed potatoes, uh, might sound familiar because I did something very similar for that cooking challenge. Uh-huh. Uh, and then also I made stuffing and it all turned out pretty well. I was pretty proud of myself. Good. I do love the, the taste of Thanksgiving food. Just like I do too. the roots and the gravy and the herbs. Mm-hmm. It's so like hearty and cranberry sauce, I think is, we don't add enough jellies and sweet sauces of this type to our foods. I think it's, it's a mm-hmm. really fun shake up. Mm-hmm. You know what I like to add to my cranberry sauce? Star anise. Mm-hmm. A little star anise, like a little, a little nutmeg, some of those spices, like really yeah. bring it to this fun place. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, that's Ladyfingers. That's Ladyfingers. That's Kilo <gasps> 2021. 
Oh my god. Ah, what a season. If you've made it to the end with us, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. There'll be some sort of little thing coming into yeah. this feed before the next year, so don't unsubscribe, please. Don't unsubscribe. If you're a new listener this year and you didn't listen to our Christmas our two-part Christmas special last year, oh yeah. I'm going to need you to go back and listen to that because we pulled out all the stops for that. We did voices, we did sound design, we did the best fan fiction writing you have ever seen since My Immortal. <laughs> it was a lot of fun to make. And if you just want to hear more of our voices in audio and in text form, Cole is writing a new newsletter called Big Little Moments. It's colestephenson.substack.com. It's a it's like a pop culture newsletter where I I dig into specific moments in pop culture history, what they mean for us now. And the next edition is about Minecraft, how it has shaken up the games industry and the world at large. Cool. I'm excited. And then if you want to listen to Gabe, go listen to Gabe's new podcast, Earlobe Calming. It is a wonderful exploration of like art and money and what it means to be a working artist, I think is really cool. My, my tagline is a collection of desperate, vulnerable, and collaborative acts. So essentially I'm asking people if they can give me projects to do, and then I do those projects for a little bit of money. And so it's been really fun, like Cole has commissioned me to do a little thing and it's little weird projects that I would never expect to be doing and I don't think people in the audience or even the commissioners would ever expect to get made. So it's a wild ride. And then you can also listen to the other podcast I have with my friend Lena Greenberg called The Polyculture Podcast, where we break down big environmental themes and see how they apply to pop culture. So this most recent episode we put out is about monoculture and factory farming and we apply it to farm simulator games like Animal Crossing <laughs> and Farmville and Stardew Valley. Oh. Cole and I are busy, busy people and we're doing a lot of fun stuff. Oh, also um, Faker's Dozen. Uh, we got another show at The Pit on December 13th. Party in the Pit. Well, yay. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode and season of the Lady Fingers Podcast. This episode and the music therein was edited by me, Gabriel Coleman, and included songs from Disclosure, Sylvan Esso, Tom Howe, ABBA, Nintendo, and the Ramstein High School Advanced Band. Go Rams, maybe? I don't know. Our cover art is by the iconic Alessandra Rugusa. We will be backing your feet eventually, but if you miss us, you can always find me on Twitter at GabrielCheese, and Cole is at Cole Stephenson on Twitter and TikTok. Bye-bye now! Is that P-wet? What? Is that P-wet?